Welcome to episode 24 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey and I am none other than the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf and I'm the associate editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. Now we've got an action-packed podcast today that takes in the movies. So let's get started straight away with our first guest. Now Eloise Poulton professes to be a fan of Ed, so obviously we had to get her onto the podcast, (laughs) but I'm very glad we did because she's had the initiative to team up with a group of 10 other artists during lockdown to make an extraordinary film called Nevergreen. Eloise is a theatre director, but she's now directed a film about the great environmentalist and author of Silent Spring, Rachel Carson. And she's here to tell us all about it. Good morning, Eloise. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ads. Good morning, Eloise. Of course, it's always lovely to meet one of my millions of fans. <laughs> yes, no, I appreciate this. I know you made that up, but it is... It is interesting, uh, all the emails I get, uh, one that starts, I am your greatest fan, always gets read. And actually, wow. which is why you're on the podcast. <laughs> well, then just just as well, you know. But you but know I'm, what, I would, ne- I would never lie, Ed. No, we're intrigued that you're making this film about Rachel Carson, or you've made this film about Rachel Carson, particularly as it says here, because Charlotte writes the script. I'm ashamed <laughs> to say I'd almost forgotten who she was. Now, before all our listeners shout at me for this submission, can I remind them that Silent Spring was published before I was born. In 1962, it was published. Even so, it just shows what a great job you're doing of keeping it fresh in our our minds because Silent Spring raised the alarm about the catastrophic environmental impact of insecticides and so is as relevant, if not even more so, today as it was nearly 60 years ago. So talk us through how you came across her work and why you decided to make a film about it. Yes, of course. Well, so the writer of Nevergreen had sort of, was being haunted, I would say, by Silent Spring or followed by the book wherever he went and was just very riveted by the title because it is a fantastic title. It's very striking. And then he read Silent Spring, thought it was amazing and was extremely surprised that it can was Can I just jump writing. in there, Eloise? Course, Sorry, yes. can I just jump in? Could just, just remind our listeners why it's called Silent Spring because it's about all the birds falling quiet, isn't it? Exactly. So it's it's about the threat of the birds falling quiet, but it's, it's also about an actual historical event where this did happen, where Rachel lived. And the whole book kind of explores the effect of extremely damaging pesticides on the environment, particularly DDT, um, which she was the first person to so clearly and so loudly raise the alarm, as as Ed said. So this obviously happened, you know, Silent Spring came out in 1962. But in 2019, my friend, the writer, Gus Mitchell, told me about this book and said, you have to read her work. It's unlike any science writing. And it's talking about things that I can't believe we're not saying now more loudly and clearly, because even though she is so incredibly riveting, not only in her, her science writing, her skills and her and her personal life, but there's never been any work of fiction that's kind of properly made a go at, at saying something about her. And as young people speaking now, you know, on the brink of so many crises, <laughs> we really just felt we had to say something, we had to make as beautiful piece as we could about her work and her world. Well, huge congratulations, especially that you uh, did it all in lockdown. And I haven't read it for at least 20 years, so you've inspired me to go back to it. So brilliant. And of course, it's very good timing with the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 coming to Glasgow in November. So you're absolutely bang on the button with it all. Now, Nevergreen screens as part of the multi-digital living record festival, which runs till February the 22nd. Can you tell us a bit more about the festival itself and what we're actually going to see in, in the film a bit too? 
Of course. So the Living Record Festival was an amazing time collision for us of us thinking we need to make something and then the applications for this festival were online we made a 45 minute short film which we rehearsed entirely in lockdown we rehearsed it over zoom and we also recorded some of it over zoom and then we met up on Hampstead Heath across one weekend when it was still legal to do so and we filmed um kind of beautiful elements of the heath wandering the heath discovering it as um, the actor in role as Rachel but also as we would on many of our lockdown walks so in that way I think it feels very human and very natural it's part of the festival which runs until the 22nd and there's so many exciting things in the festival of all natures there's purely audio dramas there's interactive things there's things that are live ours is a recorded film so you can sort of show up whenever is convenient for you and really fortunately we've been offered the potential to develop it as a live piece which is very exciting for us and we're really hoping that we can do that and um, but actually the living record festival which has been so excellent has shown us that making sort of blended digital work is can be the future in a positive way tell us a bit about rachel carson's personal life why is it so intriguing well there are so many elements to it. The main thing that's intriguing is she was in very, very private and her life was very sadly abridged by illness. Um, so two days after, two years after Silent Spring was published, she tragically died of cancer. I think that there are elements of her life that aren't known about, which entirely makes sense because as a female scientist, full stop, you're already coming against, you know, the potential of people saying that you're you know, talking about things purely from emotion or without factual backing. And I think it's very striking whenever you see Carson's interviews, of which there are very few in the public domain, because she is extremely measured in the way that she talks about everything, because she didn't want to let slip the fact that she had cancer. It was as simple as that, because she didn't want to be branded like a an ill person as well as a crazy person for saying all these things against the status quo about pesticides. And I think it's, you know, we looked at her interviews when we were rehearsing, few few as they are, and we wanted to show a different part of her. We wanted to let her flourish in our film. So when she interacts with nature in Nevergreen, it's intimate and it's kind of free. Whereas in her interviews, she had to be very held and very, very controlled, which makes sense because, yeah, otherwise she just wouldn't have been listened to. Next year is going to be the 60th anniversary of Silent Spring. You're exactly right. You know, I'm thinking Netflix here. I'm thinking eight-part miniseries. I mean, yeah. you said oh, it before Ed. I could, Ed. Come on, it's got to You heard it here first. You heard I mean, it here totally. first. Let's make this happen. <laughs> this is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> well, certainly. It's certainly. perfect. I mean, it ticks every box. Come on. Well, yeah. yes. I mean, yeah, that's the thing about her. It does, not even in a contrived way. <laughs> yeah. She's literally, like, exactly of the moment. And I just... I feel like so excited to be working with her presence, per se. Oh, well, brilliant. brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Eloise. You've been inspiring. You. So oh, it's been I'm so pleased that um, your sucky up email worked. Because, uh, <laughs> I'm now sucky up to you. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely well, they brilliant. say you should never meet people that you're fans of, but you haven't let me down, Ed. And neither of you, Charlotte. So thank God for that. <laughs> oh, our pleasure. Thank you, Eloise. <laughs> thanks so much. Brilliant. Take care. Next up, we're delighted to bring to your attention a very encouraging piece of news for all theatre lovers. Some of you might already be aware of the actor Gala Gordon and writer, producer and creative consultant Bella McPherson and their joint venture, Platform Presents. Platform Presents was set up to give a platform to rising star talent, actors, writers and directors with a particular interest in female voices. 
And last year, Gala and Bella produced the world's first online theatrical production of Tom Stoppard's A Separate Piece. It boasted a dazzling cast, including David Morrissey, Jenna Coleman and Denise Goff, and had rave reviews. Now they are back with Good Grief, a brand new romantic comedy about grief, as the title might suggest, written by Lorian Haynes. It stars BAFTA-winning Sean Clifford, who, of course, played Claire in Fleabag, and Nikesh Patel. But let's get them to tell you about it. Good morning, Gala and Bella. Good morning. Good morning. Now, there's so much to talk about here, as Platform Presents also has a poetry gala and a new Playwrights Prize. But let's start at the beginning. Can you tell our listeners where the idea from Platform Presents came from and how you both came together? Of course. I, as you mentioned, started out in in acting which I still do alongside producing and very fortuitously met Bella at a screening of Oliver Stone's film Snowden and it was one of those wonderful moments where I was sort of overwhelmed by her energy and verve and passion that we both share for film theatre and television and it was in that moment that we struck up a really beautiful friendship. We then came together and thought for quite a long time actually about how we really wanted to create a platform that would nurture rising star talent across the board and support them in all different formats. It was quite unstructured wasn't it at the beginning uh, and then we met and uh, she, she said listen I want to do this project where I get um, support actors and, and writers but I wanted it via poetry gala because poetry is the shortest most discreet form of storytelling and it can be awesome and inspiring and incredibly sad and incredibly uplifting and she discussed this whole plan that she had for it and then at the end I went do you want me to help you on this and she said yes and then literally that was how the company started we started thinking about how we could do discrete forms of storytelling via poetry and encourage new writers to write stories and tell us tell us about the highlights of this journey I think the best relationships are unplanned in a way so uh we so serendipitous yes exactly serendipitous so we started with thinking about how we could do a poetry gala and bring together um, great actors of the stage and screen to read the world's best loved poems, but then also raise money for a playwrights prize. Because one of the things you find in this industry is there's just not enough great writers and there's not enough opportunities to platform great writers. So by doing a poetry gala to raise uh, funds for a playwrights prize, we also got plays sent in from all over the world. Um At the same time, we were really keen, and this again was um, Gala's idea, to do play readings because that would give a platform for young artists to perform but not actually, you know, put them into a situation where they were producing a full-on production. A lot of the things that that we do really take a large rehearsal process. So with a play reading, we rehearse the talent for two days and then we invite an audience in to see them. And it was something that came really from the idea of there being a lot of polished work out there, particularly in London, and it was giving an audience member an opportunity to see the inner workings of a rehearsal room. And that really allows for the writer, director and actors to play. So we started with play readings where you're, you know, platforming young talent. And then we moved into full on productions again, trying to find really fantastic shows. And the first one we found was this LA writer called Mary Laws. And Gala flew to LA to meet her. And it was a play called Blueberry Toast, which we produced and Gala acted in. And it got fantastic reviews which was incredible at the Soho Theatre. But what was amazing about Mary is that no one had heard her voice here. And subsequently, she went to write in the Writer's Room on Succession, the TV show. So Mary's now got her own TV show for Hulu, and she's just been signed by HBO to do another TV show. What we're trying to do is find these people and and pluck them from, um, 
you know, not obscurity, but just give them a bit more of an opportunity than they would naturally be given. And to that point, when our Playwrights Prize for 2019, we we found this play by this woman called Leah Gasson. It's the first, she's a first-time writer and she won unanimously. Uh, and what we did with that play is then we got Justin Martin to direct it and Jess Renane, who cast the working title, and The Old Vic to cast it with Jesse Buckley, Luke Treadaway, Aaron Doherty, Amy Lee Wood, Carl Queensborough and Hayden Gwynn. And Erin Doherty is um, Princess Anne in The Crown and Amy Lee Wood is in Sex Education. And then we did a play reading for her, which was supported by ATG. And we invited the industry to that show. We invited top directors, we invited the people from The Crown, we invited tons of agents so that Leah's writing would have a platform. And she got approached by seven agents the next in the next two weeks. She had a meeting with Alec Drysdale, who represents Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she was, we were doing a Zoom, a, a Zoom and she was really nervous on the phone. And Gala went, hold a sec, he's bloody lucky to have you walking into that room. I mean, what are you talking about? You've done a play reading with Jesse Buckley and Luke Treadaway. You're about to do this. Blah, blah, blah. And she suddenly like was in her own power. And she went into that meeting room with Alec Drysdale, like slightly arrogant and bored. And he offered her, <laughs> he offered her. But also what we'd set up is um, because we were, what we really want a play to have is an afterlife. So while we look at um, theatre, we're also interested in progressing that to film and television. And what we did with Leah is we uh, joined up with Diana Agron, who is in Glee. I'm not sure she's, if you know her. She's a great actress. And we took the play to a company in L.A. Um, with a very fantastic team. And we're now at the 10th Nose Pass a year later, and we're about to present it to Netflix. So Leah's small play that won the Playwrights Prize a year and a half ago is now going to be presented to Netflix with a mega director um, attached to it. How exciting. Yeah. And you heard it here first. <laughs> so so let's get on to Good Grief now, because the, the writer, Lorian Haynes, was told it was too short at 45 minutes to be produced for the stage. So she's obviously absolutely thrilled to have this adapted now in the middle of the pandemic. Now, Sean Clifford, who stars in it, has said that it's neither film nor theatre, that it's a hybrid that's helping to save the industry. So you both obviously represent a huge dose of optimism and innovation for the performing arts. Um, but that also brings with it a hell of a responsibility. So we'd love to know what's really setting it apart. Well, I think, as you say, Charlotte, Lorian Haynes, the writer, said that as it was 45 minutes, it, it wasn't right to be platformed on a physical theatre stage. Whereas for this digital medium, it's actually perfect. I think that in terms of giving an audience a piece that's of that length and and enables you to suspend your disbelief without being distracted, as it were, it lends itself very well. And when we read the material, Bella and I felt very passionately about the fact that it was very episodic in its nature. And we feel like this play is both heartbreaking and incredibly funny, but very very well suited to accessing global audiences who have been experiencing this pandemic. And as you say, for Bella and I, it's incredibly important to give jobs to those who have been forced out of work. So we looked at employing a team half from a theatre stage background and half from a screen background. And there was this wonderful genesis where we all learned from each other. But in terms of a point of difference, as as a wonderful surge in new digital online theatre at the moment. We are a female-led platform presents production company and this is a brand new play that hasn't had life before and it really, really challenges the boundaries of merging 
theatre and film or television. So we're really looking at finding that sweet spot between the two that can then create this amazing visceral experience when you're watching it at home, whether it be on your telephone, your laptop or your television. There is nothing, as you know, Ed, that you can that can replace the unbelievable visceral experience of being in a theatre. I mean, you just can't. The lights go down, your phone is off and you're fully complicit in this uh, suspension of disbelief. However, what this has, and we we will not stop producing live theatre, obviously, but what this has thrown up is there's two major things. One, you can work with anybody in the world so we can have work with a film director in Iceland and a actress in Sao Paulo and create a global team, which is quite exciting, depending on the time zones, obviously. But secondly, we can also uh, reach people all over the world with a play that, you know, lots of people used to email us and say, oh, we can't see your theatre because it's in London, but also at a more democratic ticket price. It's absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, I'm fascinated by what is going to change in theatre, but I'm hoping to a certain extent that this kind of hybridity will survive. I think at the very least people recognise there's a huge audience out there that wants to see plays that can't. And also I think in terms of good grief, the thought of, you know, this is a new medium. It's not a stage and it's not a screen. It's a mix of the two. And that will allow creative people to explore the medium in new ways. And and it's such an innovative and inclusive medium. So it allows for collision of all different art forms and people from various different backgrounds learning from one another. And I think what's wonderful about it is it's essentially archiving our time. And I think one of the things that has come out of this incredibly hard year for everyone is is actually the reinforcing positive nature that there's a huge appetite for theatre. You know, I speak to so many of my friends and they're just longing for the doors to be open or they're longing to participate in a project or they're longing to give back to such a powerful art form. Yeah, totally right. I mean, I totally salute you. I mean, I think, you know, Platform Presents, it's it's female-led. You find new actors, new writers new directors, you're developing hybrid forms. And I mean, you've done this sort of out of your back bedrooms. 100%. And we're still having fun. Just before you go, I just want to check Good Grief opens on the 15th of February. It runs till the 15th of April. Tickets are being sold via the Ambassador Theatre Group, Original Theatre or Time Out for 15 quid. If you pay £15 for a ticket, it's actually yours for two months. So it's for a household and it's on your system for two months that you can have it for. Um, we're also at the moment speaking to a few people. So uh, we're about to launch um, free tickets for students, which have been supported by a major theatre donor. Brilliant. You are light in the darkness. Thank you so much, Carla. And thank you so much, Bella. Thank you. Thank you. Our next guest has catapulted this podcast into a whole new league, which is a <laughs> deeply disrespectful thing to say to all our previous guests. <laughs> but for the first time ever, we have a big time Hollywood movie director with us. He's British. He's built his career and reputation on making gritty, socially conscious movies based on true life events like the Falklands War, the murder of Stephen Lawrence and the bloody Sunday shootings in Northern Ireland. His factually based movies also include United 93, his gripping movie about the plane that was hijacked and then crashed during the 9-11 attacks and the terrifyingly tense movie about the hostage Captain Phillips played by Tom Hanks. He's also made three Jason Bourne movies with Matt Damon. I confess I am a massive fan of Paul's Bourne movies, and it really cemented his reputation as one of Hollywood's big boys. He is, of course, Paul Greengrass, and he's here with us on our podcast 
Hello, Paul. Hello. How are you? Very well. Good. We're fine, Paul, and it's so exciting to have you with us. I did meet you thousands of years ago when we were both making documentaries. Of course, back and in the day. <laughs> a long time ago. And we can safely say our paths have somewhat diverged since then. I could talk to you all week about your films, but you're here to tell us about your new one, News of the World, starring Tom Hanks. Now, News of the World is based on a book by Paulette Giles. Do you pronounce her name Giles? Or yeah, do you, yeah, Paulette Giles. That yeah. you co-adapted with Luke Davis, who wrote the wonderful film Lion. Now, when I first heard about News of the World, I thought it absolutely must be about today's COVID-struck politically tumultuous America, because this is what I read. And I quote, it's all about a time when America is divided. Hundreds of thousands of citizens have died. Years of conflicts have shattered communities. All information is suspect and no one knows whom to trust. Now the nation finds itself at a crossroads. It's unclear whether America can heal itself, rediscover a sense of unity and move forward as one people again. Now you can't blame me for thinking that's right now with a new president just inaugurated into office, but it's not. So tell us all about it. Uh, well, it's actually set in 1870, so <laughs> close, but 150 years out um, <laughs> in, uh, in, in the Reconstruction era, uh, so in the shadow of the Civil War. Tom Hanks plays a lonely newsreader. He's um, a man who wanders from small community to small community in Texas, reading the news. Basically, he has a satchel full of newspapers. He's lost everything in the Civil War. He's a Civil War veteran. And he reads the news to isolated communities. And it's about his adventures. And in particular, he meets a young girl who's been kidnapped by the Kiowa tribe and raised as one of their own. And, and uh, her Kiowa family have been, been killed by the uh, soldiers. And he decides to take her back to her rightful family. So that's the sort of story. When I read the novel, I loved the way it seemed to be about today, actually. And... The journey, really, that both these characters go on is the journey sort of out of all of this. What's the road out of all of this bitterness and division? And that's the road they go on. And, and I made it really because, well, like everybody, we want to see better days, don't we? And uh, that seemed uh, that seemed a story that took us down that road. Is this something that came to you kind of just after Trump's election and you thought, I've got to, I want to do something that kind of reflects what's happening? It actually, it's the sort of serendipity of filmmaking, really. I'd, I'd, the last film I made before this one was 22 July, which was about, obviously, the, the right-wing extremist Anders Breivik, or, or about the, the aftermath of his attacks in Norway. I did end up after that film, you know, as I say, as a parent, if, if in no other way, thinking, well, you know, we, we're bequeathing to our kids such a fucked up world excuse my language you know what's <laughs> what's the road out of it i was thinking about that and thinking what would what would a story of hope look like that was truthful in such a divided world as as we're living in and and then about six months later i read they well they, they sent me the um the novel and i read it and I'm, i straight away thought well that character those characters that world that's it. So it felt truthful, but also optimistic, if I can put it that way, because I think it's important in these dark days to believe in better days to come. I think it's brilliant. And what I'm really interested to know is who or what do you think might be the contemporary equivalent of the 
Tom Hanks character, the storyteller and newsreader, if you like, who can heal modern day America. Well, not just America, the whole world, actually. Well, uh, it's interesting you ask that. I mean, it, it because I did ask myself that through making it. I mean, when you look at the way that the profession of journalism, if you like, has been assailed. I mean, it's never mm. had a high reputation. It's sort of always sat, <laughs> sort of one up from politicians and estate agents and used car salesmen, you know, and, and probably rightly so, you know, down at the bottom of, of public trust. But the currency of truth is something that's never really been challenged in my adult lifetime until I'd say the last 10 years. And I think in this country and in America, that has been a profound, profound problem. Because if you pollute the waters and leave people not really knowing what's truth and what's lies, I think that's a lot to do with the rise of technology too, social media and all the rest of it, probably more in a way. That is a real problem. I think storytelling is important because storytelling is a collective activity. You know, we're the storytelling animal, aren't we? We tell stories to our children. We tell them around the kitchen table. We tell them in the pub, street corners, at work. You know, that's what we do. And, and of course, in our cinemas, in our theatres, in our concert halls, you know, it's storytelling, isn't it? And I think that is something that has really has suffered through this COVID crisis. I think your first prime and only responsibility if you tell stories is to entertain people. Now, I work principally in the in the world of commercial cinema, you know what I mean? It's not it's not subsidized cinema and that means that I'm in the tradition, you know, the great American narrative tradition of cinema. It's a it's a different tradition to other tradition cinematic traditions in the world, you know. Narrative is important. But it is important to me. It's important if you want to reach an audience that you tell them a good story. Going back to the narrative of, of news of the world, can you tell our listeners a bit about, about what happens? Because it's, it's really a journey home, isn't it, for, for both Tom Hanks and the 10-year-old who's played by Helena Zengel? Yes, News of the World really is the searches in reverse. In the searches, of course, John Wayne goes out into the desert to find the girl. In this story, Hanks finds the girl you know, at the start of the story, and the journey is the journey to take her to what he thinks is her rightful family. And that struck me as very interesting, very a very interesting contemporary take on the Western. And obviously I grew up with Westerns as a boy because they were on TV, weren't they, when we were kids? Or certainly when I was a kid, they were on all the time. And, you know, it was in my imagination and Ford was in, very much in my thinking and also I wanted to make a film that was a bit more classically wrought if I can put it that way you know I hadn't ever tried to do that I think it's important when you work that you try and do different things and, and embrace new challenges and that was fun so it was an attempt to make a an optimistic film in a dark time but not a sentimental one uh, to let's make uh, it... just be optimistic for a minute and tell us about the remarkable Helena Zengel she was amazing yeah she was amazing it's funny when you start a film you always have a sense in your mind at the forefront of your mind of where your problems are going to be what's your big problem you face you know i thought the big problem of this film was going to be to find a 10 11 year old girl and so i thought well you know how are we going to find a girl who who can play that part because it's not just any child part. You know, she's really head to head with Hanks in the film and she has to 
carry a lot of the film on her own and she doesn't have inevitably because she's essentially a traumatized child a lot of dialogue to carry it you know and uh, and so that I thought this is going to be this is going to be our big challenge it's going to take months I'm going to end up seeing hundreds of kids and it's going to be an agony of choice and I'll be haunted if I make the wrong choice. You know, all those things go through your mind. In fact, it turned out to be absolutely the easiest thing because she had just, she'd just been in a German film called System Crasher, which if you've not seen is an absolutely wonderful film about a, a truly disturbed child. And I, as soon as I saw it, I thought, well, she's absolutely magnificent. The first day, I think we shot the first scene where they meet actually on the first day. And I remember Tom coming sitting next to me after about three takes, he said, oh my God, she's absolutely fantastic. And so she was. I never really worried about her after that. And she was a proper, proper actor. She had really powerful instincts, keen intelligence, worked hard, had a point of view, you know, she, she'd say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or, or no, <laughs> you know, or, or yes. That's brilliant. Sounds absolutely amazing. I know she's going to be have a big career for sure. Just to go back to the theme of the film for a minute, Paul, I think what's so interesting about it is that it's so much about identity and people seeking their own tribe and sense of belonging. But America today and, and most of the world actually still seems to be living in such an era of division and uncertainty. And I'm just wondering if you see a contemporary way through that. But I do think we're living in that era. I think that is exacerbated enormously enormously by the huge disruptive power of social media. And that's in a way what's so interesting about looking at Kid as a storyteller, because he exists before any of this, you know, before really, you know, television, radio, uh, you know, modern media, social media. He's just a guy who brings the news, but he, he faces the same problems. He has to fight for, a, for truth against lies and fight against people who want to exploit that. And I do think that we will live to see, you know, these great tech companies, a bit like the early 20th century, they're going to have to be brought under some kind of democratic control. I don't think there's, we can continue endlessly down a road where our democracies pay the price of these organisations. Because I think breaking them up is the wrong sort of language. They've, they've just got to be brought under democratic control, but it's not going to be done in a way that's you know, the US is never going to allow that to happen where they just follow a European agenda because it's got to be done in America, I think. But I think it will happen. I do. Brilliant. Well, we'll sign you up for the cause, Paul. There's a big <laughs> bill coming to Parliament hopefully this year. And uh, it's definitely going to be the dominant agenda for this year and going forward. But it's brilliant to talk to you about the film. And it's wonderful of you to have come on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been, well, it's been so lovely to see you and it's great that you're doing it. I listen now more to podcasts than, than actually to other other radio, actually. So it's really great that you're doing it. And it's, um, it's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, that was some podcast and we're feeling extra chuffed to have had Paul Greengrass on because when we first invited him, we didn't know when News of the World, his new film, was going to be released, but it's out on Netflix this Wednesday the 10th of February, so we can all actually get to see it. But that really is all we've got time for this week. Please keep listening to us and to our sister podcast, Carol Annette's House Guest, in which she talks to big names interior design, and our new Great British Brands podcast, in which business leader Michael Heyman talks to the fabulous jeweller, and he really is such good fun, Theo Fennell. You can find both of those at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. In fact, I'm quite annoyed thinking about it that we haven't had Theo Fennell on our podcast, Charlotte. 
Well, I know we love Theo. Um, he is so we'll, good. We'll, we'll, we'll get him on immediately. Um, and, <laughs> and yes, and just add slash newsletter to that address and you can see all our newsletters, including the Great British Brands February one, in which we take a really good look at what brands are doing to be sustainable. So very much in tune with our first guest today, Eloise Poulton and her wonderful film Nevergreen. Do please keep listening, subscribing and leaving comments. And a particular thank you to listeners in St. Vincent in the Grenadines who've nudged us into the charts there. I've been to St. Vincent and love it. So thank you and watch out as Ed and I might be over there to do a live podcast as soon as we can. But for now, tune in next week for some more great conversation with a fantastic lineup of guests. Yes, we are in fact the 13th favourite cultural podcast <laughs> in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I'm dying to know what the 12 cultural podcasts above us are, but we really thank the lovely people of St. Vincent in the Grenadines and it does mean that we will have to talk to our lovely editor Lucy and secure a personal visit by me and Charlotte to meet all our fans. <laughs> it will be a hassle and a pain to go there and take time out to travel there, but we are prepared to do it. That is the sacrifices we make for this podcast. <laughs> now stop, stop laughing and say goodbye, Charlotte. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.